Welcome to The Story Tinker, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, including Midnight Poppyland, Purple Hyacinth, and more. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character, relationship development, and plot theories. You can follow The Story Tinker on all podcast platforms and videos of most episodes on YouTube. You can also follow The Story Tinker on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like weekly bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. Thanks for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 93 of the Purple Hyacinth Podcast, Coming Clean. And today we have Neff, Wu, and a new co-host, Twinkle Starchild, who will now say hi. Hello, I'm Twinkle, uh, and I'm really excited to be here. Um, I love Purple Hyacinth. I found it after I was introduced to uh, Webtoons. Fairly afterwards, I became obsessed, and then I found later um, the uh, Discord, and it was exciting. So yeah, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, and we're certainly happy to be here because this episode is amazing. So last time we ended off with well we actually ended off with the discovery of loon by kim but relating to the lauren kieran line um kieran and lauren were going to meet at the cave so now we have lauren going through the forest to the cave and it's a bit of a somber atmosphere we see a narrow panel of the like kind of like periwinkle um sky with dark you know shadows of trees she's going through she's it's very cool toned. There's, you know, the branches are crackling. She's covered with a coat and a scarf. And she thinks to herself, I haven't been there since. And she flashes back to the infamous episode 43, where Kieran choked her and slammed her against the wall. And this is what she's recollecting. But she shakes that image out of her mind and continues with a very determined look on her face. And you know, it's interesting to see that she's reached the point where she hasn't forgotten it, but she is secure enough in the relationship to decide to forget about it in a sense. What do you think? Mm. I wonder if forgetting is not the right word, because I don't think she's going to forget it. I'm sure we're going to keep getting flashbacks to it, and it's still going to be a boundary, but moving in the sense that they can regain trust without um, without f- without forgetting. I don't know how that's going the to resolve turn perhaps is what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, um, I think there will still be a bit of contention between the two because of the events of season one but I think after this episode especially they've largely moved on from it understood what happened understood like yeah stuff went wrong but like we're able to move past it and we're like we're still working out some issues but like um you have my trust back and I forgive you in a sense maybe not entirely but yeah 
I think mm -hmm. this resolve that we see, like her like reflecting on her past, but moving forward really uh, kicked in after she um, said goodbye and reflected on her past with Dylan when she was in the cemetery. And so I think this is just part of her mission now to move forward and like try to go in the right direction and progress because she wasn't progressing before and now she's trying to, if that makes sense. That's a very smart point. I never connected like her sense of peace that she acquired after the cemetery with to other areas of her life, but that would make sense that it would carry over. Yay. <laughs> so we now have her enter the cave and immediately as we enter, the atmosphere in the cave is very different than outside and very different than the other times that they've been in the cave because all the other times they've been in the cave, it's been very menacing, cool toned, cold, scary. And now it's very warm toned. You right away see there's a cackling fire and, um, and that'll be emphasized throughout the, the, the scene. And obviously like a fire is a sign of like a home and warmth and passion and connection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could be taking this further, but I won't. <laughs> um, and we see Kieran throwing daggers at a target, but he is missing them all, unsurprisingly, because well, we see he's shaking from the effort. He's huffing and puffing. Clearly is not in good physical condition. I don't even know why he's, even doing this like if I were him I would be on my bed sleeping but I think he is maybe a little anxious about Lauren coming and is getting that anxiety out through dagger throwing what do you think mm -hmm. I agree mm -hmm. with that yeah I was I like wondering that. too I like what you said about the lighting at the start of this because in the infamous episode the episode is lit with a lot of sort of greens and blues um, from the water but in this episode, again, as you said, the um, the setting and the characters are lit by the fire, and the fire is very warm and orangey. And then, you know, um, orange and blue are opposite colors, so it kind of tells us that this episode will be the opposite of um, its counterpart 50 episodes prior. And now that you mention it, I forgot that the fandom... I don't remember who in the fandom came up with this first, but they counted the number of episodes since see, the beginning of season two. And this is number 43. And everybody was like, oh no, is this going to be a parallel? But this is kind of um, a foil to episode 43. Yeah. Very directly. Um, and it is. Because, just... oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, my apologies. Um, it's supposed, yeah. But as you said, it is, it is the parallel. It And instead of, um, breaking the two characters farther apart as they did at this point in the season in um, season one they are coming together and as we hmm, I'll save this for the end of the episode actually this next thought but yeah, yeah. sorry continue yeah I remember when I first saw people doing the whole neurology thing I was like mm, I don't know maybe I was like, I don't, wasn't sure if the authors had done that, you know, were, were intentional about it because I'm probably wouldn't have, wouldn't be if I was writing, but I don't know. I, I think that they're, I think that they may have been deliberate <laughs> because it's, it's so direct. But anyway, so Lauren walks in and she says, Hey, I'm here. And we get a close up of Kieran just sweating. I mean, he's really exerting himself. Does not look great. I mean, he looks great, but he doesn't look 
healthy. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like I'm awkward. You're gorgeous. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I definitely enjoyed his eyes looking green this entire episode. I love blue eyes, but I also love green eyes. I probably just like anything that he would do. So <laughs> or look like except bruised, but anyway. So <laughs> Lauren comes in and I don't know if anyone else noticed, I'm sure y'all did. She is wearing a scarf covering her neck. Pretty sure everyone did notice that. And I'm, I know she wears a scarf in other scenes, but I can't help but suspect it's a little bit intentional to protect herself, even if it's- Looks unconscious. like she's hiding. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, you can tell she's staying back because Kieran has to call her in. He says, like I told you before, caves are hard to heat in the winter. You might want to come closer to the fire if you don't want to freeze up there. So she has been hesitating until he calls her in. And then she walks across the bridge and starts taking off her coat, which, right, and she does trust him enough to take off her coat and that scarf. And he's like, he crosses his arms and he says, so what did you want to tell me? And then she gives him a deadpan stare and tells him, take off your shirt. <laughs> oh, with an amazing stance, the way she standing there is extremely assertive her outfit is gorgeous um I could use a word more than gorgeous but I try not to be crass <laughs> she looks really good <laughs> and <laughs> elegant, what elegant no um this moment kind of reminds me of episode 81 when she was like a bit hesitant to enter his apartment Oh, I was yeah. kind of reminded of. Also, if you'll notice, her shirt, usually Karen's the one with an open shirt. Her shirt now is the one that's open. You see it here and you'll see it throughout the episode, which to me also symbolizes her openness now. Mm-hmm. And that also adds to the sexiness, to say it. But her stance is very assertive. Um, somebody called Lauren's um, kind of approach to Kieran aggressive. And I like that, you know, she's showing him like tough love. I was wondering how Lauren, it's not what I expected. I I expected Lauren to be a little bit more soft, but I agree that it makes sense with her character, the way she's approaching Kieran. And Kieran is surprised and he's like, what? (laughs) Not what he was expecting. I can't even imagine what he's thinking. What do you guys think he's thinking? (laughs) Well, entirely Um, opposite from... Lauren, his outfit is entirely close up. He is like, like he's almost trying to pretend that he's okay, but he's not. Cause like arms crossed. I've always been like conscious of crossing my arms because I was always told that that look like makes you look un- like self-conscious. So I'm always conscious to not cross my arms and I'm crossing my arms while I'm talking about it. So, <laughs> um, but like his arms are crossed, like I think is an insecurity type of body language. Um, and so for him to like have to force himself to not be that way, I think is kind of how he is, if that makes sense. I like, think that, I'm sorry. No, you're good. I didn't. <laughs> I think that there's a degree of um, vulnerability that he's feeling right now. I mean, mm-hmm. he did just get majorly beaten up, but now he's with Lauren and She's one of the few people that, even though what happened between them in 43 happened, she is still someone he can be more open with because they have this history together. 
and right now he like his shoulders are kind of drawn up it seems he's bunned up all the way to the neck and I mean like there's a little bit of the humorous thing that's probably going through his mind but more than that I think he's just um I think in the moment he feels vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah I agree that Kieran is not used to that and it's very difficult for him yeah. um, which is why I was so excited to see this episode you know people who have had to be alone for their lives they've learned to be self-reliant they've learned to not rely on other people not trust other people because they don't have anyone to unburden themselves to but so it's very hard for them to adapt when they actually do have somebody who is there for them and that's what Kieran is going through he's gonna have to melt a little bit and Lauren also has to do that mm-hmm. which yeah. is exactly what happens in this chapter <laughs> I think he's surprised by Lauren telling him to take off his shirt mainly because like he this man legitimately thought that he did a good job hiding his injuries yeah <laughs> exactly this fool our confident Kieran <laughs> underestimating people mm-hmm. and lauren's expression when she replies is extremely serious her face is mostly in the shadows and she says i said take off your shirt emphasized Whew, that little bit like scary do you get those scary vibes from her <laughs> very intense for sure mm-hmm. and kieran does this like eyebrow raise it's mm-hmm. one eyebrow raise that's so cute <laughs> <laughs> And, he's, and then, of course, he, he reverts back to his typical, you know, flippant attitude. And he, you know, spreads his arms wide and says, come and do it yourself, officer. Where's the wink? I'm like waiting for the wink. <laughs> and also, it must be noted, I don't remember who it was. Was it Aloe? Somebody had like predicted his outfit or at least the bottom half of his outfit, like super well. And yeah. then the top half of his outfit is actually something that Lauren is wearing. So it was it was my darling wife, Aloe. She's not my real yeah, wife. Yeah, just, just you know, wife oh, on so Discord. That's, and she's the one who got the hearing. That's why, right? Yeah, that, that's the like bottom. Half, okay. She found this <laughs> image on on I believe Pinterest, and so I'm assuming so found that same picture and took the belt from that. But a while back, like in September, I believe we had this joke between us where um, we found these outfits and then we associated Kieran's personas with them and we gave it like each day of the week and so for the Sunday outfit it was basically the bottom half of his outfit here oh my god the top half was a striped shirt the same color and the same pattern as one Lauren's wearing so Mm -hmm. y'all be prophets that's all I'm saying (laughs) We are predicting everything. Either that or the creators are stealing off of us. Lurking in the Discord without you knowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, again, this is Kieran's defense mechanism, right? I don't think he's expecting her to actually do it. So yeah. he just wants to avoid further meddling into his privacy and to further vulnerability. Mm-hmm. But Lauren is not having any of that. And she actually completely takes off her coat, steps forward, and there's this amazing panel where she is moving towards him and he is wide-eyed in kind of fear. You know, I think this is like extreme discomfort at his personal space being invaded and him finally kind of being found out and really being, I would say naked, but I mean physically and emotionally in front of someone else because she grabs his shirt and whoosh, 
lifts it up. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. I wanted to say I agree with you. So Lauren's seriousness when she says take off, um, take off your shirt, it tells the audience like this isn't romantic. So like she's doing this out of like she doesn't really trust him because he's like hiding something, and she she thinks that there's something wrong specifically in his abdominal region. So it's not supposed to be something that's really perceived as romantic more. It's just, you know, like concern because we know as the audience that this man has many bruises and probably a lot of internal um, injuries that he is hiding. And so she's doing this with complete seriousness and concern for him. And when he says, come do it yourself, officer, he, what I thought is that he legitimately doesn't believe that she will do it because in the past when he has made um, such remarks she's usually treated them with like annoyance or disdain and so if he's like oh you want me to take off your shirt then you'll have to do it um, he thinks that she won't take it seriously and will just like stop pushing it but to his surprise as we see she does and again it's not really supposed to be perceived as romantic especially because the next panel is although yes we get Karen's abs for once. <laughs> it is not, it's not Google something abs. that's supposed to be romantic. And I think I'm hoping that people will not see it as romantic because honestly, if people see, if we have to see Karen's abs at the expense of him basically having <laughs> internal bleeding, I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> not to mention the shadows on the bandages are probably provided not bruises. I didn't really notice that till now. So he does have some gashes too, it seems. Mm -hmm. Aside from those other bandages, patches. Poor guy. Yeah, unlike last time, you know, last time Lauren was in the cave and she helped bandage him up. And this time he did it all himself as usual. Oh, and then he, you know, he has that face where he's looking at her afterwards. And he's kind of like quiet and still, and his, his brows seem a little furrowed to me. And I don't think he's exactly expressing his emotions on his face. I think to some extent he's learned to school his expressions, but I think there is a bit of kind of like still, still shock there and this feeling of, you know, oh, it's out of the open, I can't hide it now. And, you know, we're, she's seeing me in a way that nobody has seen me before. And she's seeing me vulnerable in a way that no one has seen me before. Yeah, I, I wonder, I don't know if this is happening, but no, I was wondering a bit when I saw this, if he was kind of drawing into himself, because at least for me, like if something shocking happens and I'm already not doing well and someone's like, oh, I see that you're not doing well, then I would, you know, just like shut the emotion off of my face and just get into myself. I feel like that's a very common thing that people do and it kind of reminded me of that when I saw his face here yeah I agree I don't think he's quite letting himself express what's going on inside of him yeah. he's almost reading Lauren like he's looking at her and that's what he's he likes to do or what he typically does is read other people mm, very true huh. and Lauren still looking at his chest says it's because of your mission to find Loon isn't it and he says, how did you know? And then she yanks down his shirt and says, you've been hobbling around all day like an old man. And Kieran just goes back to his like 
cutesy defensive mode. He's like, I wouldn't, because as you said, he thought he was fooling everybody. <laughs> and then Lauren walks away and tells him, your movements are stiff, your knuckles are bruised, your eyes are sunken, you're using your left arm a lot more. <laughs> and you're not able to hit the center. And you told me not to go near your apartment. So she just rattled off a list of observations. And she's also looking at the, the target with all his missed targets. And Kieran's just like, hmm? like that Pikachu <laughs> face. When, <laughs> when I wrote that, I was just like really happy because like we know Lauren has a background as a detective. And it's like, yes, we are seeing Lauren's detective skills. Like she does use them sometimes, but we don't get to see it that often. And it's like, yes, detective Lauren moment. And then she addresses it in like two panels. And she like, she turns around with her like flirtatious look. I, I don't know if flirtatious, but teasing. And she says, mm-hmm. stop looking so surprised. I was a detective before, remember? <laughs> she has that smirk on her face. It's something that Kieran usually has, right? Kieran, Kieran usually brags about himself with that smirk. So now Lauren has learned from the master. <laughs> well, also I think it proves that she's healed, like, or healing from the yeah. whole situation from 43. Like we're now at this point where she's trying to get back in action and take over the situation that's wreaked havoc in Art Hollis. So I think this is good. You know, I thought you were going to say that she's healing from the pain of not being a detective anymore, because that also is something that bothered her a lot. And I don't know if she would have been able to laugh about that earlier, but now she can. So, which is also a good sign. Mm -hmm. So, well, Kieran takes it and he's like, spreads his arms wide and says, well, what can I say? Touche, Detective Sinclair. You know, he um, admits he doesn't, he doesn't Contrary to what I expected, he doesn't try to obfuscate or deny or, um, you know, push things away. He just admits to the truth. And Lauren continues and says, I was beginning to wonder how it was possible that we've been left alone for so long, alone for so long, which I was wondering too, honestly. I'm like, yeah, you're forgetting about stuff. And Kieran looks more contemplative and says, as a mole, I had no choice but to report a couple of things concerning the police station. But not going to lie, the leader is starting to lose his patience with Bloom. And she asks, who did this to you? And she gives him this concerned look and thinks to herself, the pain should be too bad to move with all those injuries. How is he even standing up straight? Which also is what I was thinking. <laughs> but he's a, he's a determined young man. And you know I think that his sense of independence is more important to him than any physical comfort he might get by sitting on a chair or lying down. Mm-hmm. I like how Lauren says, I was beginning to wonder how is it possible that we've been left alone this long? And although I I like Kieran's answer because yeah, it makes sense within the story. I do think that this this is foreshadowing to a bigger um, issue in the pro- in the story that they're gonna be like, okay, something is really off here. And there's it's been this theory for like a really, really long time now that there's someone in the Phantom Scythe protecting Lauren. Mm-hmm. And right now, I yeah. guess, like, I don't think Tristan's in the Phantom <laughs> Scythe, but I don't trust Dawkins. So I think <laughs> Dawkins might be the one who's looking out for Lauren right now, especially since their relationship has been given a lot more development lately. Like, ever since episode, what, 65? Was that the call when Dawkins called and was revealed? he was revealed to be godfather and then we see more and then in 66 lauren talks about him a bit with tristan their relationship 
is definitely being brought up more. It was a bit later. Um, as we get more into the story, it seems like um, Dawkins and Lauren will play into very significant roles that heavily relate to one another. And so I think that, yeah, if I had to guess, it, if there's someone protecting Lauren, it would be Dawkins. Very reasonable theory. Yep, we'll find out. So then Karen says, the messenger led me into a trap. He smiles. <laughs> he was waiting for me with only six other people. He's laughing. He's laughing at himself. He, he recognizes the irony of the situation. So it's hilarious how he can find humor in everything. Although I'm surprised when he says the messenger led me into a trap, I always thought that Karen knew when he was going to the church that he would get, that he was going to get beat up. But yeah. this makes me believe that makes me think that he didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, they it's, used the confessional. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. Keep going. They, the last time he met with the messenger, they used the, com- the confessional to uh, deliver and receive messages. So I think he thought it was just the typical routine. Yeah. I found that piece of dialogue interesting too, because in, was it the beginning of the last episode where um, Karen said that he was aware that he had been led into the trap? So. I guess technically speaking, he was led into it, but it wasn't a trap because he already knew it was there. Mm. So I wonder if there's more going on. And like what he says after that too, is it's very bad if he's getting rusty. I was wondering, did, is he feeling guilty about something? Is he mm. is that why it took six? Because that is a big difference to go from six to fifteen. He's twenty four. He's the pretty young and you know this is not the time to be getting rusty I mean, well um do you what yeah sorry i keep okay. talking go ahead oh, thank you um i was thinking like he was waiting for me with only six other people i might be getting rusty he used to take at least 15 15 is like what it is two point like what 2.5 more people or times more people. So it kind of tells us that Kieran is no longer in really his prime as an assassin, which is ironic as Neff pointed out because he is still a very young man. But it kind of tells us that the Purple Hyacinth himself is no longer at his peak. And I think that is in how the leader uses the Purple Hyacinth and how the Purple Hyacinth is being dispatched as the Phantom Scythe is now turning away from the from the PH himself to look at their up-and-coming assassins, such as Belladonna. And it does make me wonder, oh, hey, do they have more assassins planned, like a new generation of assassins? Oh, that's interesting. So I wasn't because... sure if he was even saying the truth or if it was like a sarcasm, because when he says sarcastic stuff, it's not highlighted in red. Mm-hmm. Like when he says, oh, I, I'll turn into a pumpkin at midnight, right? Which is obviously not true. That wasn't highlighted. So I wasn't sure if this was, but, you know, that. just exaggeration, but it was. But yeah, I mean, you can derive interesting theories if it's true. I don't think it's a lie. I don't remember if Warren's ability works on sarcasm, but like I'm, the way he phrases it doesn't seem to me to be sarcasm. And he says at least 15, like this man might have been facing 20 people. <laughs> so. And he wasn't lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. 
And Lauren rushes towards him with concern. And she says, have you seen a doctor? You could be internally bleeding after a beating like that. And Kieran's hands are on his waist at that point, which also is kind of a defensive position. And Kieran says, I got myself checked out by a physician working for us. Yeah, I'm not crazy. Um, so I think he's buttoning his shirt. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think this? he's buttoning his shirt, tucking oh, yeah, it in. That's true. <laughs> for a guy who wants to be look impeccable again. <laughs> Can't have his shirt tucked out now, can he? <laughs> yeah so first of all i'm glad that he did take care of himself like you bet mm-hmm. and that he considers it a sign of like being a responsible person he's like i'm not crazy of course i would take care of myself also physician working for us y'all mm-hmm. are we resurrecting which character, killing people? <laughs> which character <laughs> wanted to be a doctor <laughs> and who was probably the fin of scythe still it is alive people we have proof incontrovertible <laughs> oh dear I can't. Karen and Dylan could be in the same room and people would still think they're the same character. No, 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 no. No. Separated (laughs) with magic. (laughs) They're alternate, they're the Olsen twins just moving very quickly, (laughs) creating the image of two people. Also, two years apart, but whatever, we'll ignore that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just keeping them in the back of my mind, physician working for us. You know, it's also interesting that, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the Phantom Scythe is aware of the physician, you know, and, and like keeps tabs of who visits him. So they gave him a beating and they're also fine with him, you know, going to a doctor to get it checked out. Like they just use it as a message. Like they don't want to kill him. But it's like, it's so interesting how they're willing to, you know, they're like, oh yeah, sure, see a doctor afterwards, but we just want to get our message through. It's mm-hmm. Very gross. I wonder if the Phantom Scythe has medical insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how old medical insurance is. I don't know. I don't think it's that. I mean, obviously, this is not a specific time period, but I don't think it's that. I think it's a fairly recent invention. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> that'll be funny. <laughs> so Karen says, you haven't met your deductible yet. We must beat you up some more. <laughs> Their insurance is no questions asked, doctor visits. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> what if, like, you have, like, you know, drive in weddings in Vegas? They have, like, drive in insurance. You just, like, show up and they'll give you medical insurance. And they'll, like, <laughs> again, no questions asked. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, a fake needs to be written about that. No, I'll do it for you. <laughs> Oh gosh, please. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. You know, he now going getting back to their to their matter of business at hand, he says, which reminds me, I also paid a visit to my friend this morning. The fake identities are ready. We only need to provide pictures. And I know we've been debating about like, does he actually have friends? Like, is it actually <laughs> a friend? But listen, it wasn't highlighted in red. He has one friend, okay? <laughs> What I think the- he called he called this person a friend also last time. So that's two times of using the word friend. This as opposed to like acquaintance. Um, this is kind of weird, but like what if the friend is the one who's being blackmailed? Like or who the blackmail is for? Right. Possibly. It. I mean because like that- we oh sorry. You go. go ahead. Oh no, you can go. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that would narrow down since we assume Kieran doesn't have a lot of friends that would you know, neatly put them in the same character. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I feel like there should be some setup for what the blackmail is for. And I guess like the friend would work and it obvious in this friend, if Kieran is getting the friend to make fake identities for not one, like not himself, but another person, this has to be someone Kieran can trust. Do not like sell him out. And so if it's someone that Kieran can trust or, and someone who Kieran is likely close to, that does make them a very good blackmail, um, I guess, I don't know, a lot of blackmail potential right there. <laughs> yeah. And he continues with this, you know, again, this cutesy face and he says, which requires funding the bodies. And that face is like, you know, understanding that it's a grim task and um, you know, that it's not something that is pleasant. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, it's gonna be hard because we also discussed this in the discord that they're gonna have to, they can't just choose any random people. They're gonna have to choose someone that would make, would make sense for them to be lewd, you know, um, with like a history of some kind of sleuthing work, some kind of detective work, because um, it's a, not a believable if you just take, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. <laughs> but I think, I think in episode 52, they mentioned how unidentified bodies always show up in Great Chapel. And so, or not Great Chapel, but like, you know, below the poorer precincts. And so I'm not sure if identity work will be a big problem, but something that did get brought up in the Discord today is that if Kim knows that Lauren is Loon, and Kim finds out that Loon died and she's not with Lauren when she finds out, I think Kim is going to have the most heartbreaking moment in the entire series when she finds out and she thinks that Lauren is dead. That's horrible. Yeah. I feel like she would have such a terrible reaction. Like, not terrible as in like angrier. Just, she would just have such a bad negative reaction if she if she finds out that Lauren ha had something to do with framing two innocent corpses, I would really question. Imagine your best friend did that; you would really start questioning them. But I think Kim <laughs> would know that it was for the good of Artalis because, like, um, you need because Loon had to get the Phantom Scythe off their backs. And so I think Kim would understand it, especially since in the process it would cause, although like the corpses are kind of being disrespected, it would eventually cause less harm to the people who are still currently living. I, th I don't think Kim is like, I think Kim has some looser morals because like she obviously seems to be more supportive of Loon. Okay, but more intrigued I mostly agree, oh, but it would no. still leave a mark. Like it's not, it's not something you can rationalize so easily we can as the audience but as a character going through it I feel like it would still be a very uncomfortable zone yeah it's true um, Kim is like the person that would cabot on someone else's boyfriend to protect them from being flirted with by other women I'm afraid <laughs> that she like this is a bad sign that they're getting ready to prepare these bodies to like look like they're loon what if Kim does the same thing because Kim cares about her friend Lauren and doesn't want her to get in trouble oh no and like I'm afraid that there's going to be a debacle because <laughs> Kim is that kind of person 
pairs of bodies that would be terrible like terror that would be a horrible sense of humor and like yeah yeah i can see yeah i know i can definitely see kim being a little like dude what the hell but i think she does understand where loon are coming from and the measures that loon has to take to continue operating i just like she's like i am sorry sorry because i think she'll come from a point of like okay i don't really agree with what you did but it does make sense and if it causes less people to be hurt then i'm fine with it yeah yeah the fact that she was willing to you know already consider not reporting loon shows that she's unwilling to go into the gray zone So now we get to the next arc of this scene and Lauren leans back in kind of like despair against the table and sighs and says, with everything going on, I've barely had time to think about that. And now Kieran asks her, how about you tell me what exactly is going on? Which I'm happy he asked that question because it sounds as though he knew that she was not telling him things. So he's pretty perceptive. Mm-hmm. And Lauren steers for a while, and it looks like she's maybe making, you know, either being thoughtful or, or making a decision. And she closes her eyes and says, I was going to tell you the night of the New Year's party before, and she sighs. And, you know, presumably it's because, you know, she asked him about the kids in the car and he told her they died and walked away. <laughs> so she didn't get to continue telling him more details, which I'm surprised. I didn't know that she wanted to tell him even on that night I thought I thought it was because Kieran just peaced out she's like I was going to tell you but then you just up and left and I couldn't mm-hmm. yeah, the fact that she sighs to me shows that the memory is tinged with sadness so I think it's it's associated mm-hmm. with the what she thinks happened to Dylan which I still say that she didn't even ask you know she just had kids in the car like I think she's still jumping to conclusions like we still don't know if it was Dylan in the car but whatever that's just my upstanding on Mm -hmm. that point (laughs) yeah I also think it's because she's thinking about as what she'll say in the next um in the next sequence where she tells him about her parents and she's just thinking about how what she thought wasn't true and how the information that she has come across has um just damaged her view of others Mm, yeah now she starts talking to him and she says she looks up at him with a pretty open expression on her face um it's a little hesitant but willing to be vulnerable and she says remember when i told you my parents died in a car accident with a driver sandman and kieran frowns and you know is listening very attentively and at this point, the music turns on, which somebody once mentioned, she's like, oh, why don't we talk about the music? I'm like, yeah, because we never turn it on because it would disrupt our like reading. But the music was turned on and it does enhance it. And she narrates, she says, I went over everything I learned in the last month. And again, we have an image of the fire. So it's that image of warmth, of connection. And she says, the truth about Sandman's past involvement and his present actions. And you see a shot of him, her explaining things to Kieran. She's gesticulating with her arms and Kieran is listening very attentively. He has his hand on his chin. He's, he's firm. He's clearly paying attention. And she says, and who my parents really were. At which point we see his shocked expression. 
And we again have an image of the fire, again, showing their warmth. And Kieran says, so according to Sandman and what you overheard from the king's right hand, so she's told him even that, it all started with a massacre at the print shop. And she's at this point, she's hunched over her chair. You can tell it's, it took her a lot to say this. And she says, yes, somehow my parents and the leader must have escaped. The authorities probably didn't have their names since the Snapdragon were doing things anonymously even back then. And she's still not looking up. She's bent over. She looks very defeated. And she says, I've searched everywhere. I looked through all the my parents' things for any sign of their phantom sight to involve me. I found nothing, which is interesting because like literally just that day, I was like, oh, Lauren, you have to finish looking through everything in the attic. You didn't look through everything in the attic. <laughs> but apparently she did. <laughs> so good work. And she said, I found nothing besides the pamphlets. And now she gets into the emotional part. So up until now, she's just told him facts, but which I was already impressed enough that she said that, but now she's getting into her feelings. And she says, even when I was a kid, I could hear lies. Yet I didn't pick up anything that could have remotely suggested that. And Kieran again is looking at her and she buries her face in her hands and says, not from Salmon or my parents, or if I did, I didn't understand, which it's emphasized and it kind of leads back to that beginning thing that she said in the prologue. I was the blindest of them all. And now, people, prepare yourselves. Kieran looks up over at her with sympathy in his eyes and he reaches out his hand. He's about to like pat her head or something. There's a debate whether it's patting her head or just smoothing her hair. And he's almost there. And then he withdraws his hand. That was my favorite part of the episode. These four, wait, four panels. Oh my God, they were beautiful. Oh. Just how much it conveys. Yeah. Cares it about her light, everything. Wow. Um, I found, I thought that he was sort of reaching over to her to sort of not really pat her head or like run his hands through it, but to sort of like rub her hair a bit, like kind of, or rustle her hair a bit kind of like what you do with a kid like you know when you like rustle a kid's hair um and I think it was just because I don't know it gave me the sense that Lauren is kind of returning back to her childhood and just by like you know going by talking about her parents and talking about um how she didn't really understand things as a kid so Lauren has been Lauren is in a very vulnerable more childlike state to me right now like that's what I thought of it so it makes sense that to me it just makes sense that Karen would do something that you like typically do as a kid but also oh sorry no go ahead sorry sorry just just one quick thing um where was it so when she said um yeah I didn't pick up anything that remotely suggested that like about how even as a kid she could hear lies not from Sandman or my parents or if I did I didn't understand and I I thought that was referring to the lie that Stefan said at her parents funeral when he was like oh we've never had an argument we couldn't settle or something like that and that was a lie she didn't understand it as a kid but I think now she's growing to and that I think that was what she was referring to I was wondering over these four panels with um, Karen reaching out to touch her hair. I think it's arguably starting to approach, uh, romantic isn't the right word for it, but somewhere that's a little bit more intimate. Intimate is the better Mm -hmm. word for it. Affectionate. And Yeah. yeah, 
for 100 percent and the importance of it isn't the fact that it's that there's an affection for, for her it just but it shows how much respect he has for her the fact that he puts his hand down and doesn't touch her that is but touch is so important and especially with what happened in 43 and he's choosing to even though he wants to come for her even maybe maybe she would be okay with it we can't know but it shows so much respect for her and for her bodily autonomy and but it also it's also it's it has that but it's also so sad because he's holding back from showing any affection and I highly doubt that even going forward with the conclusion of what happened this episode that he's going to initiate anything really in the future it's going to be up to Lauren Lauren is the one with the power and the control because Karen's the one who kills people Kieran's the one who has the physical power and can hurt people. So Lauren is going to be the one who has to initiate anything, be it affectionate or anything more. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think that I can definitely see Lauren being the one who reaches out the most, but I would also like to see Kieran reach out. I'm not sure if it will ever happen because, again, enough what you said. And I think Lauren is just... Um, more assertive in that sense again this episode kind of shows it yeah he's but. like jokingly assertive but in mm. truth he isn't he kind of wears yeah. it as a disguise to but. show that he is even though like, you put your um insecurities on display to make to make it seem like it's not insecurity yeah but overcompensating yes yeah the reason i think karen won't be the one to initiate stuff is not because like he's necessarily the phantom's um, he's not really the the reason it's not because he's the purple hyacinth like to me um I don't, I don't think it's because of his occupation or the atrocities he's committed I think it's more that he doesn't want to hurt people and he doesn't he worries that he that what he does will hurt more people and he doesn't want to drive away the people who are already close to him mm-hmm. it's inherently intertwined the, yeah there are in time but I don't think it's just because like oh he's a I don't think it's just he's the purple hyacinth so I agree with that um, because for me, he's always the person that observes humanity. He has never had a, a um, experience of his own humanity like that he's initiated or been a part of necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for you to see it as like him respecting, I see it as him being cautious of his abilities because he like, sure he's trying to, maybe he is trying to respect her, but at the same time, he's also trying to protect himself and he doesn't know what will happen if he does this action. Um, I think it's all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I had the same exact thoughts. I was like, is he doing this because he's afraid of how Lauren will react and Lauren won't be comfortable with it? Or is it because he's afraid of taking their relationship to the next level? And again, I don't mean romantically, I just mean in terms of intimacy and closeness. Mm-hmm. I, I like Lockie a lot and I love scenes like this because they aren't really romantic and they're not really romantically coded they're more I guess platonic and it's kind of a brush of fresh Mm -hmm. air for me because although yes I will admit I would like to see Lockie and Duff romantically together I like I would be happy with that that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know I'm surprised too like 
I would be satisfied with that outcome if they did end up together because they have great chemistry and a great relationship, as you can see, or great oh, no, relationship potential. <laughs> but yeah, you want like, them to single, stay platonic? Mm-hmm. I would also really love them to stay platonic. I think that would be a twist. I'm not sure many people would be happy with that. So I don't know if the authors would necessarily do that because um, there are some fans who would be very mad if the two did not end up romantically together. And although that kind of sucks because it does, it might infringe on the author's visions, um, it is a fact of life and there's nothing much we can really do about it. But anyways, um, I I like how this isn't platonic because I... I adore platonic Loki and um, I think that if they ever did want to take it to a romantic level, I think I've said this before, but they would need a very solid platonic bond and relationship. Like if they wanted a healthy um, relationship later on, romantic relationship later on. And I think a lot of romance genres skip it. (laughs) And so I love seeing this period of time where they at least are just friends so now that our hearts are beating kieran looks away and tells her and that look on his face looks looks a little bit like guilty um i think he's maybe feeling he's feeling uncertain about his feelings because this is something new to him so and i i I think you see that reflected in his face he's uncertain here but he says you can't blame yourself for that. You were only 12 years old. No one even knew what the Phantom Scythe was before the explosion. And Lorian, still looking down, says, <clears throat> still, it's so hard to accept that I, Kieran cuts her off and says, your image of them changed. Oh, and Lorian at this point does look up and she has like anguish on her face. And she says, I remember them as the kindest people. They gave me so much love. When I think of them, I remember my mom reading me stories and my dad playing with me. I looked up to them, but now to think that they could have supported those atrocities and she's tearing up, people. She's tearing up in front of Kirin. That's how comfortable she is around him. It's it's really interesting to me because she has always associated like being able to see lies as those are bad people. And so for her to like recognize that telling lies does not necessarily make you a bad person is changing her perspective about the actions that people take so actions speak louder than words basically is mm-hmm. like what she's trying to take away from this I, yeah I mm-hmm. I loved what Lauren said here because it I, it kind of tells us that the people we this is a bit more pessimistic than what Twinkle said but <laughs> um, <laughs> that the people we care about and the people we love are still capable of doing horrible things and although um I don't and although Rachel and Alex like they weren't the leader themselves they still and although they didn't mean to they still ended up standing by what the leader did and we know we know they weren't horrible people and I I kind of give them a pass because they wanted to leave and they did not support it and they did not mean for what happened to happen but they still they were still part of it and so to some degree that we can't be entirely sure of what of yet because we don't know enough they are kind of responsible for the phantom scythe so yeah i just i like the message that again 
the people you care about are so capable of horrible things. And even though you care about them, um, they, they should still be held accountable. Yeah, what Kieran says next actually addresses this. He says, it is possible. People are not always what they seem, which I kind of wonder if he's thinking about something personally in his life. And he says, frankly, I would even go as far as saying that I understand their anger, what they went through with the Snapdragon. It just does, it doesn't justify the Phantom Sight's crimes, but all these years within this wretched organization have taught me it's not a monolith. Not everyone agrees nor is aware of what is truly going on. And, you know, we've been debating about the Phantom Sight for a long time. And I feel like what Kieran says encapsulates everything we've been saying, you know, and the complexity of an organization like that and the people within it. So Kieran's, you know, got his head on straight. He agrees with us, therefore. <laughs> and also like the previous episode that we saw where it was like um, Apostle 4 is like, what's Apostle 7 doing? Like, we need to stop that. And like the leader's like, what are all of my apostles doing? Because they're messing things up. We got to fix. <laughs> like, they're all like entangled with one another and like sabotaging each other, even though they're all about mm-hmm. sabotaging one thing. Like, it's just an interesting dynamic. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel like okay, I think I probably said this before, but I feel like the Phantom Scythe kind of values uh sorry, um kind of mirrors Loon in a sense, which is really weird, but I think they're each other's mirrors what? because um I think the Phantom Scythe mirrors Loon. Oh, and I think oh. the two are each other's foils because in season one, at least at least in like season one when you think about it, um because in season one, like, uh, Loki, the two are working towards the same goal. They're, they want um, they want the Phantom Scythe, or at least the reader, gone. However, they disagree a lot on, like, how to do things. Like, Lauren suggests, oh, like, why don't you kill them? And then Karen's like, bruh. <laughs> and then they have their arguments, and they kind of end up working against one another because of their own motivations and I think the same is with the Phantom Scythe the Phantom Scythe as a collective is working towards the same thing which is to have the monarchy and the social hierarchy that it sits on they want that gone but because of the but when you look inside the Phantom Scythe you'll see that there's a lot of conflicting motivations as well as well as morals and so um, it's when you like just break it down to the base level, Loon and the Phantom Scythe are just very similar. And also the fact that they're willing to go um, beyond the law, behind the law, underneath the law, whatever, mm-hmm. to try to accomplish their, their goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that I find oh. interesting about the Phantom Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, something I find interesting about the Phantom Scythe is that the people at the top, they seem to, at least the leader, they think that what they're doing is right. And although their means are bloody and violent, they still think that, like, you know, what they're doing is for the greater good. At least the leader. The other apostles seem to be a bit more selfishly motivated, but I think the leader still has their ideal. So I just... I don't know. I love it when the villain thinks they're right. If Phantom Scythe is even a villain. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. You guys go. 
I wonder if, I mean, I know that we, we just saw a leader last episode, but I'm not entirely convinced that what we've been told the Phantom Scythe wants, what we've been told the leader wants is actually what the leader wants. At this point, does right or wrong even, is it even a part of the equation for him or her? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, it? I'm, I'm also skeptical. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll have a plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. there's so many nobles involved, and it seems like it seems like there's a lot more to it. The goals don't add up, but their actions don't add up. Right now, it seems like my, they're yeah. just getting revenge for certain mm-hmm. things. Right. And I wonder if it's um, kind of more like a civil war kind of thing, fought mm-hmm. anonymously. I, I have a massive theory related to that, but I have to. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to get around to doing it, but I want to make a video about. So, yes, I have Ooh. thoughts. Let's just say. Looking forward to Ooh. that. <laughs> yeah, um, that relates to to the book I was telling you about. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. So I for need me, to finish reading that. Oh yeah, me too. I need to finish reading it. So I say, for me, I say that the leader still holds their ideal of like a, a new world, because like. I in I think the Carmen arc um a, po- a messenger seven said that the leader was still like illusion illusioned with their um with their you know with the original idea and so I I don't know I think I've been clinging on to that but I can mm. yeah I can see the leader being selfishly motivated that's a good thing to point out though it's a good counter We'll find out eventually. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. You'd think that like the apostles and messengers, like they kn- they're in on it. Like they know <laughs> a lot of this stuff, especially the ones who are rebelling. So, yeah, I think from a storytelling perspective, it would pack a punch if you know we we get a total surprise from what we expected. So that's another reason I think the leader may not have the idealistic motives that he's touted to. Anywho, but Lauren is having a hard time, you know, Kieran is trying to assuage her feelings, but she's having a hard time accepting, as she says, but they were apostles, his most trusted allies. And Kieran points out that he decided to kill off. Sandman said he thought they wanted to leave. So he's trying to alleviate her feelings of dissonance with her parents, of not being able to, you know, reconcile the image of her parents as loving, kind people with apostles. And he is trying to show her it's possible that they could have been both and, you know, that it went too far or they were trying to get out and they couldn't. And he says, it wouldn't surprise me. Perhaps they weren't as supportive of the leader's ideas as you think. And Lauren says, but that only the leader himself could tell. Now, Kieran, our darling Kieran, says the most affirming sentence ever. He leans in and he tells her, hey, whatever your parents did, it changes nothing about who you are now and what you are fighting for. <gasps> You know that, right? With the Dakistan episode, you said that the phrase I love you is dead. And the, the only proper phrase is, um, I know you don't always believe in yourself. So let me, something like that. Oh. This, is the new, this is the new I love you phrase. This is so affirming and validating. 
This just shows that Kieran has buried his sensitive heart under layers of cynicism and flippancy and sarcasm, but underneath he is a gem. He is so mm-hmm. respectful and okay. supportive and caring. That was a great Kieran moment. And this is like almost completely off topic, but what this scene reminds me of is like, okay, I am a big Star Wars fan. This scene reminds me of um, Ray's character, but like done better. And like back in August, he had this theory like, oh, hey, what if Lauren's parents are alive and they're like the apostle or the leader and they're like setting up Lauren to be an apostle and a leader. And this is like back in our dark Lauren high. And so I've kind of had the association of like Ray and Lauren in my mind for quite a few months now. And this is what it reminds me of like Ray and Lauren both find out that their parents were related to something not so good. And then Krusty Raisin. And so then like they both have to like work past that and be like, um, what my parents I'm not responsible for and it wasn't my fault Aww. I never watched Star Wars but whatever <laughs> no <laughs> I don't know it either oh my gosh I love Star Wars Sorry. I was following no I was tracking I tracked don't worry <laughs> no no I mean I can we can understand the concept right even if we don't know the story but Kieran is a doll, people. He is going to be such, like, if you, if he hadn't been ruined by his experiences, he would be such a sweetheart. I know, like, in all the, um, in our discussions, like, we call him, you know, and in, in our memes about him, people always point to, I think, what is real, his true character. They always say, you know, Kieran would be the one writing poetry. Kieran would be, like, the cinnamon roll inside, and he really, really is like that, and I love it. I'm so happy to see it. <laughs> Makes me so happy. I do want to make sure like because while he does have that sensitivity within him he is still 100% the person who made like made the streets run red with blood so I feel like I, I choose to interpret this scene as while there is that goodness in him it's still with a degree of hardness that he says that and maybe there's something mm-hmm. underneath it maybe something with his parents happened and there's more to what he's saying here I was, rather than just pure affirmation I was wondering Karen seems like he Karen seems to be coming from a place of understanding and while yes he is a very empathetic person I'm wondering like oh hey Karen's parents what happened with them <laughs> did something mm-hmm. similar happen did they, I don't know if they would be apostles themselves, but like, did they maybe do something kind of, kind of sketchy, you know? Well, I also think it, it doesn't even have to tie into maybe parents per se, but more of like his character in general, like he has no ties to anything. So it's easy for him to affiliate and say like whatever other people whoever's tied to you in some familial or relationship they don't define you and so like that and I think that's what he has to affirm for himself from time to time because he wants that humanity like that's something that he's striving for for himself Mm. so I think that's why it comes so easy for him to say that 
because that's how he's lived his life. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. Sorry. <laughs> he tries to like distance himself from his his behavior, right? I'm sure he's in a lot of conflict about his actions. So it may be there's a part of him that's like, yes, I'm. I mean, it's half and half. There's a part of him that thinks he's a monster, and then maybe there is a part of him that is still trying to preserve his sense of goodness and self-respect. So Lauren stares up at him, you know, fully looking him in the eye, being comfortable with the eye contact. You know, that's, that's a difficult thing for many people to have prolonged eye contact in such a difficult moment, but she has enough trust in him and she wants to look at him. And she looks at him for a while and she says, yeah. And then she turns around and says, there is another thing. And then she's getting up. She says, Sandman found the name of the black haired woman from the Carmine Camellia. She's the owner of the glass factory in the 11th district. And Kieran says, the one near the docks? On Sherbrooke Street, yes, except for a few workplace injuries, she says, as she's picking up her duffel bag, I couldn't find any incidents in our police reports. Nothing seems suspicious in any case. Then Kieran, again with that face, he says, wait, of course, how did we not think of this? He jumps up. It's really cute. The soil around the industrial docks is rich in red clay and has an unmistakable rusty hinge. So remember we were debating last time if it was like near Mm -hmm. Redcliffe Mansion? Well, I guess we have our clue here. <laughs> I told you, Mindy. <laughs> Yo, you were the advocate for the glass factory. Okay. Yeah. Or I don't remember who said like, I, so. I think I said. <laughs> nice. Add another thing to your prophecy it. list. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, there's a gosh. there's like a couple panels in like late season one where we see the docks and there's some red soot on the ground and it's like, oh hey. <laughs> oh, I think you should sign up to be a detective. <laughs> Yeah, here I come. <laughs> and Kieran smiles, and it's like that joy of comprehension and of piecing together the, the puzzle pieces. And he says, it always ends up dirtying all the nearby streets because of the heavy traffic. And she also grins, and she says, right, that would explain the red stains on falling clothes. We were looking on the wrong, wrong side of the river. And now Kieran says, but I think we both know where the weapons are hidden now, also with a grin on his face. And Kieran, uh, Lauren nods, grins. And this is like, you can tell they're excited about moving further and getting the right answers and doing something. And then Lauren steps forward, stretches out her hand and says, let's go stop them, shall we? And then she says, partner, with a smile on her face in the most beautiful image, again, warm, warmly lit with a glow extending her hand and then Kieran has this first this little shocked face the surprised face and then he smiles and he puts his hand out too and they shake their hands and he says partner but his knuckles are all bruised because she (laughs) okay oh Oh, I love this one okay my thought from earlier that I said I would get back to later in the episode every time they shake hands it's a it signals a development in Loon. So the first time they shake hands, Loon is Lord. created. The, um, the next time they shake hands, which is episode Bloody. 50, Loon is, uh, Loon is just, let's say, Loon is, Loon is kind of dead right now. Like, it doesn't well, happen like, right they after hands, they shake hands. They shake hands in episode 50. Because, like, she's when, greeting him. Yeah. It doesn't, although, oh, like, yeah. it's not, at that moment, it's not there, like He's Loon introduced as the... As the archivist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although yeah, it doesn't, in that moment, it doesn't signify Luna's dead. Later in the episode, she's like, Luna's dead. So it, it's close. You can make that assumption. <laughs> and then episode 80, they, their fingers touch at 81. And 
it it sort of symbolizes them getting closer again. And then they shake hands and Luna's revived. And now there's no blood. The first time they shook hands to make a deal, there was blood. It was a tense scene. They didn't trust each other at all. And now they just shared an emotional night and they, 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 they have that connection, but without the blood, they don't have to do any sacrifice in order to do their partnership. It's the most oh, honest and- form because they both consented to it without any holdback, without any contract. This is them being fully honest yeah. and open to a partnership. It's the first mm-hmm. real partnership. Oh yeah. And Meg also pointed out that the other the other two times that they shake hands, Lauren, her fingers are kind of like straight. And this is the first time she's actually firmly grasping his hand and you know, clenching her fingers. I think it's the same panel. Like, oh, I actually looked, I compared. <laughs> Somebody had put had put all the three handshakes and I saw like her fingers are actually more, you know, um what's this word? Seriously? Like, I yeah. thought it was the same. Wait, what? <laughs> I thought it yeah, was the same. other times her hands are more like That's out, it. like it's like this, but now she's she has her fingers in. She's actually <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to episode 10. <laughs> I'm comparing these. In episode 50, I'm going to pull that up. Get, while the, you get do the, the ruler. Thing. Don't forget the ruler. Yeah. <laughs> the magnifying glass. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. So Kieran's hand is the same. That's where I got messed up. In episode 10. I see. Let me check episode 50. So yeah, Kieran's, the lineup for Kieran's hand is the same. But for Lauren's hand, you're right. It's looser. Which would make a lot of sense because Kieran's the one who like, sorry. Kieran's the one who offered the deal. So, and, you know, he always tries to portray confidence, which would make sense that he would fully close his hand. Mm -hmm. But Lauren was the one who was hesitant until now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I did not notice that before. Amazing. Yeah. I got screwed. Up. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. I just noticed. So I've actually added a bit because she added a bit to his index finger in the in episode 10 and episode 50. His his nails a bit obscure, but she added it to make it <laughs> pop out more. That's so funny. So I was sure the episode would end here, but then we have more. And then as soon as I saw the more, I was like, okay, this is going to be a cliffhanger, scary kind of moment. And I was right. I didn't pay attention to this until just now. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I just paid attention to this. I know. I was like, I'm so, I'm very surprised that I didn't just stop here. Like it, I I totally thought the episode ended, but I did, I did scroll further. I'm sure there are people, by the way, who stopped and like, don't even know that this thing happened. It's like a Marvel. You always have to watch. So we have the dark sky and we have a full moon and it's over um, this image, which I think you said this was once used as an establishing shot of Great Chapel, but it's apparently not. Um, it's probably just a recycled scene. And we have Kling, Klang, Russell, and we have a bunch of boxes, crates actually. And we have a dude opening up a crate. It looks like it's beer bottles. And he's like, Haha, alcohol. And I think the fandom has dubbed him Drunk Joe. Really? Oh. I just called oh, him Joe. drunk dude. What? He has a name. He has a name. I called him drunk dude. 
Yeah, he, they decided he's drunk Joe. He looks like a drunk Joe. He's, you know, right across the face. He's unshaven. His shirt is, his outfit is in tatters, um, unfortunately. And he says, Haha, alcohol. And he hears someone saying, yeah, I put the box in the back. And he's like, uh-oh, God damn it, someone's coming. And he runs away, um, runs to like the building. Uh, unfortunately, he trips. <laughs> and his that bottle which he thinks is alcohol goes flying crashes and starts a fire and then it says boom <laughs> oh dear so oh, no, he's, I, I thought he's that... roasted okay he's roasted so and toasted that bottle wasn't filled with alcohol when it no. hit the floor it exploded mm-hmm. it seems to be a nitroglycerin yeah nitroglycerin okay so yeah wow it was a moth moth tail moth he's so What's glad he didn't drink that Maltov? Mm-hmm. was it a Maltov oh, cocktail is any better no. now though i mean yeah, he died anyway like, i don't I'm know if he died it's not that big yet he might have a chance to get away <laughs> mindy he is right in the middle of that explosion yes i just I saw that you think, <laughs> you think he survived i don't no. see him there the bottle landed ahead of him no it's it landed like right in front of him if you like look at it you can see some black lines that make the shape of a person and then if you look like right below the explosion there's the shadow oh one second because i'm seeing it as much smaller i saw that flame as like really small but you're saying that flame is giant and it's and he's that hurt that black thing inside it yeah Oh, that is oh my god you're right no but the cobblestones are are too small that that was that's what confused me too but i think it was just um drawing it seems yeah the draw it seems to be from sketchup so like i don't know maybe it wasn't i don't know it seems to be a person i see i see the oh my god you're right it's terrible he's being burned alive oh my god i see it now (laughs) yep yep that's what i as soon as like you're like oh my god that's what i was freaking out about really bad that's awful miss everdeen who the only girl on fire i know is drunk joe poor joe this poor dude he just wanted he just wanted some alcohol he just wanted to get time and instead he got burned alive horrible i can't stop laughing horrible person <laughs> i don't know the way he's standing is just hilarious Oh, it's not hilarious it's like <laughs> a little bit he's, he's like a, a failed superhero like he survives and he has like explosion powers <laughs> see when i read it the first time which i read it really fast because i was really excited um mm. i thought that alcohol must be like over a hundred proof and I was like thinking about alcohol. So I was like, what kind of alcohol could that be? But now I realize how silly and foolish my idea was because that is obviously the nitroglycerin in the bottle mm-hmm. because it's a glass factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, I didn't connect the glass factory to that now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They, Elvira produces the bottles and then she puts the alcohol, or not, 
She puts the nitroglycerin into the bottles and then people, when they look at it, they think it's alcohol, but it's not. It's like the pie factory from SpongeBob where it's like, we make bombs. This is a bomb factory. <laughs> okay, but actually when maybe I was like... That's, when maybe I read that's where the they got inspiration time, from. Oh my gosh. When I read this for the first time, I didn't realize that the dude died. I was like, oh, he must have been so shocked and he saw the fire. And I was just, I was like imagining the next episode where we catch up with this dude and he's just like looking at the alcohol and he's like, that must have been some insane alcohol right there. <laughs> or something. Oh, <laughs> then, I realized, then I realized he died. <laughs> so putting this stuff in alcohol bottles is a pretty clever disguise, as people have mentioned. And a, a way that it can get to the ball without being detected. Because, you know, yeah, you bring alcohol to a party. Huh. But what's going to happen now? Like, is the whole building <gasps> the going to party? Oh, no. The party, you guys. The what? party oh, needs yeah. alcohol. They're going to... What? No. Wait, where no, was I? I feel like... <laughs> hold up, hold up. I feel like somewhere it was said that... Um, that the bombs were going to be at, like, the ball or something the yes, I, wait what's his yeah. name i don't know if it was said somewhere Redcliffe. or i just read but they, i just they i don't know like, that we had a, we guessed because of the dates like the, the party is the 17th and they wanted to have it done like right around then mm-hmm. so that's my why problem we, with, like, my problem with like the explosion happening at the ball is that redcliffe is the one like redcliffe is hosting the ball and he's all in he's probably if he's like apostle seven he also seems to be the one who's like behind the bombs and i'm just i'm not sure if the dude is willing to bomb his house because he seems to like his money and his possessions so like i can't see he probably him has a country bombing home. the shit out of his nation. it's probably getting rid of all of the people though what yeah that's what easy I way out oh mm-hmm. man true or, and he might have been, I don't know if he's planning on being around, but maybe he's also one of those people who's willing to sacrifice his own life for his quest. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at this point, I don't know if that's going to happen because I think the whole thing's going to go up in flames and they won't have any <laughs> nitroglycerin left. Oh, golly. If enough drunk Joes find it. Imagine, no, like, think, you know. I think it'll spread. I think the fire will spread to all those crates. They're right next to it. Oh, shit. That's true. Oh, I, I, th- I think the whole thing's going to go up in flames and like their plans will be foiled and they'll have to rethink of something that's true that's what i thought i do (laughs) imagine if a bunch of drunkards did loon's job better than loon like i mean look drunk joe is a lot more effective in finding the nitroglycerin that was then loon was we were so close so close (laughs) almost got it Wow. Well, guys, what are your final thoughts on this episode? A new comfort episode has been discovered. <laughs> what? A new, a new comfort, comfort episode has been discovered. <laughs> it's totally my favorite. I love, love, love it. I just love the panels with Karen reaching out to touch Lauren's hair. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, so many good lauren and karen moments in this i need it (laughs) i needed to get by it's my joy Mm -hmm. 
it's nice to finally get something like a solve to our emotional burns yes Mm -hmm. in such a well done respectful way yes I I love how it was on the 43rd episode of season two because again the 43rd episode of season one are technically the 40. The 43rd episode. <gasps> what if the 43rd episode of season three is the kiss? A kiss. Oh, oh my god. god. No. Mindy, you forget we have that long. Mindy. Remember, we'll probably end around episode 99. So if you think like if you split season two into two parts, they're 50 parts each. There's gonna be another basically 43 in season two like we have season two oh okay a, so two which 43s. is this episode and then we'll have another one in season <laughs> three the <laughs> I mean, end in 99 the mid-season hiatus yeah mid-seasons like, so totally soon I, can't. I, I don't know I, mean, I know you're like you sound very confident but i'm like i don't know like you know i, I wasn't like verified anywhere right it's just our guesses it, it hasn't been verified but so f- has stop streaming which does suggest that there is something big coming up yeah and this was the last episode that she streamed and so there's probably something she said it was like three months or something so i'd say like um you know we've we have like what six more episodes so six more episodes and then another six episodes going into the second half of season two like that's a good buffer for no spoilers because um you know, if so, I'm not sure if so streamed episode 50. I would assume that she wouldn't because then it would give away Archivist Kieran. Or did she start it right after? I think she did weird. stream I'm not it. Sure. She did stream it. Okay, yeah. Um, sorry, Circus is a better example because I know she did stream key moments of that. And, you know, after Sandman was gone, she started streaming again because, you know, if people don't know about Sandman's return, then it's not really spoilers and there's nothing really suggesting it in later episodes. So I think in there's going to be something revealed in the mid-season that's going to need like a good six episodes to process and for there to be no spoilers afterwards. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, anyway, ladies, this was so amazing. I love y'all yes. really bought like amazing insight into this. And I love doing it with other people because, you know, everyone thinks of things that I would not have thought of independently. So mm-hmm. it's always such a pleasure. Yeah, I love hearing your guys' thoughts so much. <laughs> I'm like, I haven't been talking in Discord as much lately, so I don't really, I'm not really up in the know with what everyone's thinking. So like doing these podcasts <laughs> helps me catch up. Yeah, for sure. Because it's so chaotic, especially right after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's always a really good thoughts. way. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so, so, so much. And Yay. I will catch y'all next week or somewhere. <laughs> Yay, thank, thank you for you. having us. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Have Bye. a good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Libris, Alley Cat, Lily, Jenny, Haley, One and Only Taco, Elizabeth, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe Rochelle, Dahlia, Saucy Tuggles, Meg, Ann Rose, Priya, and Alexa. Your support is much appreciated. Mm-hmm.